hello, and welcome to another episode of A Priest, a Rabbi, and a Minister Walk Into a Radio Station. I'm Dr. Pandora Carlucci, and I'm here with Jay Horgan. Hi, Jay. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Pandora. How are you? I, too, am doing great. I guess the sun is shining. The birds are singing. Life is good. Yeah, it's, it is. Man, I just came in from outside, and it is gorgeous outside. Have to really take advantage of it. I don't know how many more days like this we're going to have, uh, but it it is beautiful outside. It is. It is. And uh, Jay and I are here with our three annual presenters, or I guess monthly presenters, Reverend Kathy McAdams from St. John's Episcopal Church, Rabbi Tom Alperts from Temple at Sam, and Pastor Jacob Yunker from the United Methodist Church. And I will turn it over to them, and uh, we'll probably start with uh, Pastor Jacob and ask him to kind of bring us up to date on what's going on at the United Methodist Church. This fall has brought a flurry of activities for us um, at the Franklin United Methodist Church. A couple of the things coming up for everybody to be aware of is on October 29th from 5 to 7 p.m., we're going to be offering a trunk or treat. We have offered this for the last several years, and uh, everyone is welcome to attend. Come dressed in your favorite costume. The one thing I will say is this event is geared toward children, so please don't come with your scariest of costumes, but rather your most fun of costumes. Uh, we'll be uh, allowing people to or encouraging people to trick or treat around the, our property and also sharing a meal together. There will be hot dogs and refreshments available in addition to all the sweets. Uh, so if you're interested in coming, you just need to come. If you're interested in decorating a trunk, people can reach out to me or the, the church office. Uh, the phone number for the church office is 508-528-1092, or people can email me at jacob at franklinumc.org. Uh, so that's coming up on the 29th. We also have a a chili cook-off coming up on November the 6th. Uh, that is at 1 p.m. Rumor has it that there is a local football team that may be playing at that time, and that local football team may, the game may be on uh, so that you don't have to miss that and can enjoy some chili and fellowship as we as we see who has the best chili. And I will say, I the last time we did this, I won with my venison chili. So if you're bringing chili, be forewarned. In terms of just things going on in the ministry life of the church, uh, we are wrapping up our annual campaign where we're looking at our church history. And uh, that'll that'll conclude on October 23rd. And then we'll, we're having brunch church on October 30th and celebrating All Saints on November 6th. So uh, there's a lot of things going on, and uh, everyone is welcome to attend as much or a little, as little of that as you want. If you want a dose of religiosity, there are things for you. If you just want a good time, there's things for you to participate in as well. I think it all sounds great, and uh, it sounds delicious. Um, you have a, a, some different food offerings with the chili, with the hot dog and refreshments at the at, at the trunk or treat. You've got a lot going on, and it's nice to have these activities downtown. It allows a lot of people to walk to them who uh, want to be involved. And I have to ask, 
Do you have a special ingredient in your chili? My, my father-in-law's homemade venison sausage. Well, there you go. That 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 will be hard to beat, I think. Yeah, uh, that that sounds very, very tasty. It is, but who am I to say? <laughs> so you'll have to come try it. Rabbi Tom, it's it's kind of hard to follow this up, but we'll turn it over to you. Can't do anything to beat venison. Venison. Okay. Um, so we have had this. We are in in a very busy uh, and wonderful time of the year at uh, Temple Etzayim. We just finished our High Holy Days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which we held for the first time at the um, Universal Society of Franklin, which uh, uh, has enabled has let us use their building and uh, the. I think it was wonderful. We were back in person for the first time in three years, which is really special uh, for the High Holy Days. I mean, we've been in person for weekly services, but not for these big ones. And so uh, it was just great. Everyone had a wonderful time to get together and uh, um, loved being together to break the fast, which is always a, a, a you know, fast for 24 hours leading up to 25 hours, technically, leading up to uh, the end of Yom Kippur. And so as you can imagine, people are always hungry by the end of it. So that's always a special meal. We are in the holiday of Sukkot. This, um, then this Sunday night, Sukkot ends and we move into the holiday of Simchat Torah, which uh, is when we finish reading the Torah and start immediately reading it all over again. And we have a tradition of completely unrolling the Torah. So you see the entire scroll, members of the congregation hold it up, and uh, then uh, um, we uh, do a special uh very visual service. It, it takes about an hour. It's going to be at seven o'clock at the uh, uh, First Universalist Society. So please, if anyone would like to join us, uh, seven o'clock this Sunday night at the First Universalist Society on uh, Chestnut Street. Um, and we should be done by eight. And uh, that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Great for kids, great for, for adults. And then the, the other thing I want to tell you about the temple is doing, which, is, which I'm very excited about, is we are having a scholar in residence for the entire weekend of November 4th through 6th, uh, Dr. Rachel Korazim. Uh, Dr. Korazim um, is an amazing teacher. She's Israeli and she teaches Israeli poetry and uses it as an insight into Israeli society. And her focus this year is going to be on uh, narratives of the other, so or so, sort of the diversity of, of uh, experience in Israel. So it'll be Jews and Palestinians, women and men, uh, Western culture and Eastern culture, all of these brought together. And they're going to be uh, some amazing programs. Uh, uh, they're uh, most of them are open to the public. Uh, so check on the temple website, uh, or of course. Uh, uh, if anyone wants to come, just let me know. We're going to do some great things. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the, I could go on, but that's our highlight. I think it all sounds exciting. I love the idea of a scholar in residence to use a different lens for faith, and and in this case, mm -hmm. through poetry. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you think you you might be able to capture on film and have on your temple website so that? Certainly, at least part of it. Uh, I need to check with our scholar to make sure that's okay with her, but certainly at least part of it uh, we can do on film, yeah. Her teaching is extremely interactive, though, so some of it uh, works better. Uh, it's really going to work better if you can come. It's fun. I, mu I must say, Rabbi, when I heard the word scholar, of course, assumed you were talking about me. Clearly, Jay, but what can I say that she was already on the calendar? 
Yeah, uh, well, I get that. I totally understand. But the thought was there, and that's really all that matters. Reverend Kathy, would you uh, give us an update on the pumpkin patch and all that is happening at St. John's? Absolutely. Good to be with you today. Yes, we are in the midst of our pumpkin patch. Come by 237 Pleasant Street and take a photo with your family and, and buy some pumpkins and just enjoy the experience. We are open 4 to 6 on weekdays, 11 to 4 on Saturdays, and 12 to 4 on Sundays. So hope to see you there. That's really the, the biggest thing going on for us right now, but we're, we're looking ahead and we're going to bring back our Christmas fair, which uh, we didn't have during COVID and we weren't sure it was going to return, but we found some new leadership. And so that will be happening on Saturday, December 3rd. And then the day after that, uh, we're having kind of a, a summit for youth who are interested in climate change. And that will be, I can't say it's officially part of the Interfaith Council, but there will be uh, people from different congregations there, both in Franklin and from North Attleboro, because, you know, I'm now serving two churches. So it will be interfaith and intertown. <laughs> so any, any teenagers who are interested in uh, learning about, teaching about, fighting climate change, as well as developing their own leadership skills. Uh, we, we're going to do that um, Sunday, December 4th, and we'll announce the time and place later, but it'll be in the evening. And I think that's pretty much what we've got going on. Oh, I think that sounds interesting. I I like the way that you've been approaching the Franklin congregation and the North Attleboro congregation, blending blending them together, keeping them separate at different times too. And um, I think using them to build more collaborations and more awareness. I, I, I think especially with something like climate, to have the two towns come together through um, St. John's and through um, Grace Episcopal you're going to hear new voices. I hope so. And and as I said, I really hope we'll develop some youth leadership. Um, I I really want the adults to just be advisors and to have the, the young people um, take this on. And, you know, we'll look at different organizations like Sierra Club and Audubon who are already doing good work and see how we can partner with them. And I, I should also add that while we say interface, it's open to people who aren't members of any congregation as well. So all are welcome. I love the fact that you're trying to get the youth involved in trying to get them to take a little ownership and, and a little bit of the leadership moving forward. I, I think that's a, a great endeavor uh, for you folks, Reverend Kathy. I think that we've seen a lot, many impacts uh, from climate change this summer, just even in Franklin. The, you know, we were used to just watering only on the day of trash collection, and then we went to not watering at all. And uh, for those of us that, you know, might be growing vegetables or herbs or something, or you've got a bird bath, you're doing everything with a bucket or a pail or some kind of a, a water carrying container. Uh, it's it's just very diff different. And I think they said that at the end of the summer, we had 19 days that were 90 degrees or warmer. That's really quite a bit for us here. And I, it'll be interesting to see 
listen to the younger people and hear their questions and what they think is happening. Well, uh, thank you all for bringing us up to date on this. And Jay, do you want to kind of lead us off into the the uh, uh, next section, which is going to be our topic for the day? Certainly, uh, Pandora. It, it is an interesting. I know when you and I got the email that uh, was kind of outlining what our faith leaders wanted to do today and what they wanted to talk about, I I think we both found it very interesting. And it it is talking about each congregations, each religion's uh, most important holidays and services of the year as we're heading into and away from, um, you know, Rabbi Tom just had the the high holy days that they were dealing with and moving into the the further into the fall and into the winter season is a, a lot of you know special services things going on at, at all three of our congregations as well as other uh houses of faith in the community so why don't we start with rabbi tom and rabbi if you want to talk a little bit about how you folks approach these days, uh, the services. Do you do something special in terms of your approach versus other temples, things like that? All right, Jay, thank you. Um, You know, let me start by saying, and I really want to talk about, may not be the most important of the Jewish holidays. I think I want to talk about the one that, that speaks to me. And I may have, what social science researchers call recency bias, or this may be accurate, but I think there's really something special about the holiday of Sukkot. So as I said, and as you noted, we just came out of our big, big synagogue-based holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where we get a a lot of people, the biggest attendance we get in the synagogue all year by far, um, where you know, that there are the, uh, I write what I regard as fairly major sermons. I don't know if they're any good, but they take a lot of, they take a long time. So I guess that makes them major. Uh, you know, the, the, the choir that's uh, focused on, you know, has been working, has been rehearsing really hard and did great work this year. It's, you know, it, it, uh, it it's, a, they're long services. They, you know, they, they, they deal with important themes of repentance and, and the like. There's a lot of stuff there. And, you know, people think, oh, that must be the big, big one. And then Sukkot happens five days later. Who came up with this crazy idea that you put a holiday after these big holidays? In fact, in Jewish tradition, Sukkot is referred to as Hechag, which means the holiday, the festival. There are three pilgrimage festivals when people were supposed to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But if you just wrote the festival, you didn't mean Passover or Shavuot, the other two, you meant Sukkot. So why should it be the festival? And the answer is because it's sort of the biggest. In many ways, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are leading into it. Um, From olden days, it was when uh, you had to have uh, basically gotten yourself right with God so you could earn Sukkot, which is the fall harvest festival. And so... Because if, of course, you did not have a good harvest in the fall, you might not be around in the spring. It's what was going to carry you through the rainy season. So Sukkot was a big deal. 
And there's several reasons why it still means so much to me. When I talked about how Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are these big synagogue holidays, but Sukkot pulls you right back into the house, your home. And that, it, since the temple was destroyed, the, the rabbis of, of ancient days said, you're going to, you, the sanctuary uh, is gone where uh, sacrifices were made. You need a mini sac- sanctuary. And what's the, 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 the mini sanctuary? It's the home, the home table. And so in Judaism, the home is really central. And so bringing it back there feels like you're where you need to be. Second thing about Sukkot is I talked about that sense of uh, that, you know, it's the big harvest festival. As a kid, I remember going into the sukkah that they had at the the booth that they had set up in in our temple uh, down in Texas. And it was just decorated with all sorts of uh, fruits and with uh, streamers and with everything else. It just felt there was food all over the place that you were, that it was a holiday of sheer abundance. Uh, And that's, there's something joyous in that. And yet at the same time, we're in this booth. Okay. We're in a booth. When I say we're in a booth, I mean, traditionally you lived in this booth outside your house for seven days. And I say traditionally, I mean, to this day in warmer climates, people do that in Israel, people live in, live out in their sukkahs. They, you know, they go inside, they cook and all this, but they sleep and eat in the sukkah. Here, the weather being what it is, uh, you know, try to eat in the sukkah whenever you can. But it's, you know, we've got one in our back, on our back deck there. Uh, and I go, I was just having lunch there uh, now. And so the, these booths are a big deal. What are they about? Historically, they were where when you would do harvesting, remember I told you the rainy season is just about to start. You got to get your crop. You want to make your let your crops grow as long as possible, so they'll be as, as ready to, to harvest as possible. And you got to get them in before the rain, which is going to ruin everything. So, in order to make that work, people would go out in the fields and they'd bring in what they could get in, and and they'd leave a, a booth out, and they'd sleep in it overnight, so they wouldn't have to go back to the uh, to the. It, to the farm, and then they would harvest the next set, and they take the booth and move it further out, and so forth. So these booths represent that, and they also represent uh, the 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 structure that the the Israelites lived in in the wilderness as they were going through from Egypt. So they've, they've got both those historical connections. The thing about the the sukkah about the booth is it is sort of the opposite of abundance. It's like a house with nothing else. It is shelter, it's got a roof, but the roof is not airtight. The water has to be able to seep through, the sun has to seep through. So, you know, you're sort of a little sheltered, but just barely. And so that in a sense calls to mind scarcity and the difficulty that, you know, the fact there are people living in effectively those lean-tos that we, live in for a week, they live in those all year long, um, including in the cold weather. And so it's a reminder that we have an obligation to take the abundance and get it to those who live in scarcity throughout the year. So I just love all the mixture of things that come together at Sukkot. And uh, that's why I think in some ways it's my favorite holiday. I think the rabbis had it right. It's the holiday.
that's that's pretty neat. That that's a uh, neat history and explanation of the holiday. That obviously I had no idea of it. Um, I do like the idea of sitting in a a hut or whatever you you may want to call yours and eat it. Uh, although I'll sit anywhere and eat. Uh, <laughs> But that that's great, Rabbi. Thank you so much for sure. sharing that. Uh, let's go on uh, to Pastor Jacob, I think, if he's ready. Sure. So much like Tom, I, I think most Christians kind of just generally would say that services around Easter, Holy Week, and Christmas and Advent are the uh, kind of high, highest of holy days or worship days for us. But similar to Rabbi Tom, I wanted to talk about a service that was unique to Methodism and is probably much lesser known, but probably the most important service we offer on a on an annual basis. So for us, or for me, kind of the most powerful service, and I think the most powerful one I lead my congregation through is known as the Covenant Renewal Service. And typically this service occurs toward the beginning of the year, although it can happen at other times. But for me, I typically do this service around the celebration of Epiphany, which is um, the celebrate for those thinking in terms of uh, a nativity set, it's the, the holiday few days after Christmas where there's a star in the sky and the wise men follow it. Um, and that the epiphany is a time of where I like to lift up the commitment of the wise men to follow that star wherever it leads. And so the covenant renewal service is an opportunity for Christians or for, for persons in my congregation or within Methodism to recommit their lives to their, to their faith. And uh, it dates back all the way back to John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, the, the kind of folklore around this service is that he first celebrated it in about 1755. And Wesley was very type A and also fairly self-important. He thought himself rather self-important. Um, and so he would actually conduct this service at each of the Methodist gatherings when he would travel around England. Uh, this was kind of the, if you're going to meet with the boss, so to speak, this is the service you were going to do. Um, but the service culminates. So the, the, the whole service is geared toward a, a renewal of one's covenant with God and the, the pinnacle of the service, which, which has been adapted into many different forms, uh, culminates in what's known as the Wesleyan covenant prayer. And um, I, I find the words absolutely powerful and moving, and they're used many places even outside of the service itself. So the, the prayer goes like this. It goes, Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. So this full commitment of all that you have, all that you don't have, all that you can be and all that you aren't to God. Uh, it is a powerful, I think, prayer. 
because of the seriousness of this service, it is not a service where you actually want to draw a big crowd to, because this is a serious commitment. It's not one that you enter into lightly. And this service is long. Um, so there's a lot that I'm I'm leaving out as, as you confess your sins and you confess your failings, your, your failure to live into the covenant, your failure to do all that God has called you to, and then the recommitment to it. Uh, it's not a service where you want kind of the general public to attend. This is a service where there's deep preparation for you prepare the congregation to say, we are doing this on this day and you need to, you need to make sure that you're ready for it because this is not something, this commitment we make to God is not something we enter into lightly. So this, this is the service I think that is of of most importance. I mean, I could point to baptism and communion and I can point to, Lent and Easter and uh, Advent and Christmas, but in my in the Methodist tradition, this is the service where we annually recommit ourselves um, to God and our work of faith. And um, for that reason, I think it really is, in many ways, the most meaningful and maybe even the most important. I, I think it's extremely interesting that you know, in in your mind. Uh, being the pastor, that it is, it is not necessarily as you said. It's not the the first holiday or service that people would think of, but it's maybe a little, probably the wrong words, lesser known service. But even though it's lesser known, it's the most important to you, your congregation, and, and moving forward. I just I find that so interesting. Because it, it, I, I think when people think, oh, wow, what's the most important thing? Like it, it, as a Catholic, they think Easter, they think Christmas. But those are, I, I think Pandora will, uh, I, I'm sure, agree. Those are probably two of the more important ones, but they're also the two where the, the day the church is the most crowded. You know, it isn't necessarily... Uh, it, it becomes holidays that people feel they have to be there. So it's interesting to hear a different perspective in a in a uh, a, a service that is maybe not a a big time that everybody knows the holiday, but it, it is something that individually it's huge. Well, what I what I find powerful about this service is it defies commercialism, like. Easter and Christmas in particular, you know, within the Christian tradition are highly commercialized um, to the point where they've really, you know, God for God, forgive me, but they've really become secular holidays in a lot of ways. Yeah. And in many ways, I think that's kind of a shame. But also there are these other moments where we as Christians can celebrate. And this is one of those those services. And it will forever defy commercialism because, you know, it's kind of hard to commercialize the, the invitation to the services, commit yourself to Christ as his servant or his slave. You can't sell that really very well, you know, um, it will continue to defy kind of secularism. And I think that's why this becomes so, so important. It is a, almost a countercultural service, um, this countercultural commitment. And uh, I think that's why it's so vitally important. That, that's great, Pastor. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
And now we will move on to Reverend Kathy. Well, so my colleagues have taken a little different tact, um, but uh, I think I'm going to stick with what I had planned to say, which is clearly Easter and Christmas are the most important holidays in the Christian year. And that's, as you said, that's when the church is the most crowded. That's when we see people that we haven't seen the rest of the year. But in neither neither of those holidays is just a single day. Both of them have seasons attached to them, uh, seasons of preparation. So the week before Easter is called Holy Week, begins with Palm Sunday. There are a variety of different services that can be held during that week, but the, the two most traditional are Maundy Thursday, where we uh, celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, as well as the servanthood of of foot washing, so Jesus washing, washing his disciples' feet. And in many congregations, uh, people will wash each other's feet during that service. Um, that's one of my favorites. And then also in Holy Week is Good Friday, when we um, acknowledge the crucifixion of Jesus. And attached to that, um, you'll know from the Catholic Church, there's often uh, the, the three days are called the Triduum. So Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then uh, the Easter Vigil. So the Easter Vigil is the night before Easter Day, on Saturday night. In the Episcopal Prayer Book, it says that it is the principal service of the Christian year. Yet many churches don't have one. Many people have never been to one. It's, it's something that was kind of proscribed, but it didn't catch on. But I love it. it it's a long service, so maybe not appropriate for for young children, but it can be a lot of fun. It starts off with the the new fire for the year, the new fire which from which we light the new Paschal candle, which is used at baptisms and funerals and weddings. And it's uh, the telling of salvation history. So in a sense, we sit around a campfire and tell the stories of our people. Um, we we um it's not just reading from the bible but they can actually be enacted and so uh the the parish that i served in palo alto had a courtyard and so we would start out there and um actually it was funny the the jewish spouse of one of our uh members was the one who always lit the fire for us he <laughs> he really loved to start that fire so he would be out there ready for us uh, with the with the campfire going we would sing the kids would uh, when I say kids like teenagers would um, enact some of the bible stories and then uh, we would process inside declare that Christ is risen and from there it looks like a regular Easter Sunday service but uh, the first part especially when when done outside, can be really incredible. But that's not the only preparation for Easter. We have the whole season of Lent when we we look inside, we examine our life, we usually uh, do some act of penance or uh, sacrifice, give something up um, to kind of make that introspection a little more pertinent. And so 
in a way we're we're out in the desert with Jesus. We're um, we're going through in Holy Week. We're going through his entrance into Jerusalem, his uh, Last Supper with his disciples, his crucifixion and death, and then his resurrection. I don't know how people can celebrate Easter without uh, observing all of those moments and, and really walking that path with Jesus. It, to me, it would be meaningless to just say he has risen without being there uh, for his death. So, um, so that's kind of one cycle, the Lent Holy Week Easter. And then the other important one, obviously, is Christmas which is 12 days, but it's not the 12 days before Christmas, it's the 12 days after. So there's another kind of arc. There's the arc from Advent to Epiphany. So Advent usually starts the the weekend of Thanksgiving. It's four Sundays before Christmas Day, and it's a season of preparation. It's a season of pregnancy and waiting and anticipation for, for the incarnation, for Christ to be born among us. And then there's those 12 days from Christmas to Epiphany. Um, and Epiphany is when the wise men finally arrive, as, as Jacob said, the star in the sky. Um, so that whole arc, Advent to Epiphany, is related to Christmas, to that one day of Christmas. We have a lot of other, you know, important services um, and holidays. Uh, one other one I want to mention is coming up. It's um, we're celebrating October 30th, All Saints Day. It's any time around the first or second of November. So there used to be um, All Saints was for the people that the church had uh, actually said were saints. And then All Souls was for the regular folk like us. To, um, but those have kind of been melded together. So on All Saints, we remember people who we've lost, people who have gone before us, and we acknowledge uh, one of our prayers says the great cloud of witnesses. So the sense of that we are accompanied on our journey by all of those people who uh, have gone before us, as well as those who aren't yet born. So Christians everywhere. And uh, that we're part of that, um, that Christian unity. So I think I've said enough. But those were the the holidays that are important to me. I thought it was all great. I think you said everything that needed to be said, Reverend Kathy. I it's it's hard to come as the third person and you're trying to pull together the conversation because we don't always know how it's going to roll out ahead of time when you you come up with the focus and and you want to have that sense of unity, but you also want to, as in your case, um, share what was important about your faith. And you began with um, Easter and Christmas and the idea of the seasons that precede them. And I thought, especially as you described the tritium from um, Holy Thursday, Good Friday to Holy Saturday, the um, Easter vigil, it gave a sense of, of preparation. And it also gave the sense of very important services that have specific readings, that have specific specific rituals attached to them, as you described with the fire. And you might have seen that. I've I've only seen it at St. Mary's, but 
before the uh, pandemic. We used to do it out on the sidewalk at the foot of the church steps. And, um, and the congregation would come out onto the steps and then go back in into the church. And I I I, I think it was it was great. And it 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 spoke to the um level of intensity that um Pastor Jacob shared with us with with regard to the tradition in the United Methodist Church. I just I thought it was great. Did anybody else have anything that they wanted to say on this subject? Because we can circle around uh, if if there was something that you wanted to add. I see contemplation. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to say at the beginning of the show that we are not recording live. We are recording via Zoom. So I'm uh, looking at everybody in their squares. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to just say that it, this again reminds me that... Um, one of the advantages of having, you know, our own particular religious traditions that we can discuss, but that have their own individuality, is that they can have a really amazing, what I'll call a language that gives them, um, gives those specific religious traditions a specificity in the world. They make them real for individual people, not for just some big collective. Each of these stories is something that matters to each of us. And I'd hope that uh, for those who are listening, that you have or can find something in a religious tradition or other things that are your specific moments that feel like they're lifted out of time, that they have their own holiness, their own very significant uh, parts that, that speak to you. Because if you can find that, then I think you are truly blessed. And I think, Rabbi, uh, it also, you know, if, if people that are listening can find something in, it doesn't matter which one of you, whatever someone was saying and it may not be someone you know maybe someone that doesn't know pastor jacob or has not been man check it out find out more about it if it's something that appeals to you or interests you or whatever you know i, I just knowing the three of you you'd be more than happy to uh, talk to anybody uh about it so i i think that's what's great about Kind of having, you know, three different approaches to the the same subject matter that we have almost every month. I um, the only thing I would maybe add to this conversation, and I I am clearly biased in the sense that this is my vocation and field of work. But uh, one of the things that each of the holidays that we lifted up, one of the things that kind of unites them is the sense that marking time with ritual is important. And I would argue that participation in rituals like that, whatever the, whatever the religious background is important, is really important. One of the powerful things about ritual is it, it links us in the present with something from the past and also something yet to be. So whether it is, um, making a sukkah or standing standing around or sitting around a fire at the Easter vigil or making one's commitment to God, 
that's something that people in our traditions have done for centuries and will probably continue to do for centuries. So it has a way of rooting us in the present to decisions and circumstances of today, but also linking us across time and space. And I think that connection to the past, the present, and the future is a really important thing to keep us grounded as individual human beings and as a community. Um, so the, the importance of ritual here should not be overlooked. These are all wonderful remarks, and uh, they really help to bring the subject to closure, and, and I, I thank you all for them. If anybody was looking for more information uh, after they had listened to this podcast, if you go to the Interfaith Council website, which is franklininterfaith.org, you can find it on the website. You can find uh, the houses of worship are listed there, and there are hot links to take you to that particular site. And it's always good if you're if you're looking for some additional information. And then when we bring our show to a close, we've always it's been our history to do so with a reflection or a story or a prayer. And uh, one of our faith leaders uh, generally leads that for us. And today, Reverend Kathy is going to be leading it. Please, Reverend Kathy. Thank you. Um, I couldn't think of a reflection really related to uh, our topic today. So I just chose my favorite psalm, which is number 139. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You mark my path and the places where I rest. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, you, Lord, know it all together. You guard me from behind and before and cover me with your hand. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, so high I cannot attain to it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there also. If I take the wings of the dawn and alight at the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, let the darkness cover me and my day be turned to night, the darkness is no darkness with you, but the night is as clear as the day. For darkness and light to you are both alike. It was you that created my inmost parts and pieced me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for you are awesome and wonderful. Marvelous are your works, and you know me through and through. My body was not hidden from you when I was being fashioned in secret and woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes looked at my body while it was yet imperfectly formed. In your book, all the days of my life were written, while as yet was not one of them. How deep are your thoughts, O God, and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands. To finish the count, my lifespan must needs be equal to yours. Examine me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and discover my thoughts. Watch closely, lest I follow a path of error and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. That was a wonderful selection. Thank you, Reverend Kathy. It gives us a chance to kind of 
bring everything to mind that we've been talking about for this last hour and um, just kind of brings it all together and uh, solidifies it. Well, I think that's another show that has come to a close. I would like to thank Reverend Kathy McAdams, Rabbi Tom Alperts, and Pastor Jacob Younger. I also thank our wonderful technician, Keith Palmieri, and Jay Horrigan, our co-host extraordinaire. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you, Pandora. Uh, I can't remember the last time someone used that word and my name in the same sentence, but it's uh, something I appreciate. I have to say again, another you know interesting, thought-provoking conversation that we had with our faith leaders. I, I think it was just another awesome hour spent with everybody. Thank you, and we hope to uh, share another show with you next month. <laughs>